Blog Talk Radio. Well, since you're there, Jim, I can talk to you. Sure. <laughs> you know, all the questions that you posed in your email here are the questions that I ask all the time. And um, uh, I, what I find disturbing is I will go to business meetings with professionals, attorneys, uh, business consultants, business owners. And, and half the times when I make a comment or ask a question, they look at me like I'm nuts. And I, I, I think to myself, well, Joe, you are, Joe, you are nuts. <laughs> but they don't have to express it so much. <laughs> but uh, it, it's like what I'm saying is so unusual. And you think these people would be more in the know, more, I mean, more realistic as to what's truly going on. And they're in lockstep with all the zombies out there. And, and, I and, therein, that, and therein lies the problem. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, it's, at one time, I was going to mention this in the show, at, at one time I could never figure out these zombie movies. And I said, you know, I, I can understand Avatar as a metaphor and Star Wars and George Orwell, 1984, et cetera, et cetera, you know, Fahrenheit 451. And, um, but I said, zombie movies never made any sense to me because the people are dead, they're not dead, they eat, but they're dead. I mean, and then if you shoot them, they die. It made no sense. And then one day, and this is a couple of years ago, I said, Joe, where's your brains? I said, it's all a metaphor. These are not zombies. These are Americans. This is the American <laughs> public. And you know what? After I came up that, you have no idea. I felt, I felt enlightened. I really did. I felt enlightened. And from that point forward, every time I hear someone speak or repeat what they hear from mainstream television, I think zombie. You have no idea how many times a zombie comes in my head, you know, person's a zombie. And I realize when a person's a zombie, no matter what you say, no matter how logical, no matter how factual it is, it makes no difference. They hear nothing. They just repeat what they've said. And I find that absolutely frightening. Now, it's okay if you find a high school kid saying, oh, he's watching too much television. But when you have people in the business world reacting the same way, we got a problem, Houston, a very serious yeah. problem. And, and I identified that in a couple of different ways in the book. One was uh, this thing that I call the word of the year uh, that Merriam-Webster tracks. And it's, that's very, very informative. You can kind of get a, a good uh, feel of social mood. And the other the last chapter that I have in there is called Empires. And I kind of show where the U.S. is with respect to historical empires. Yeah. And one of the things that goes on towards the end, the end stages of empires is what I call frivolity, where people are distracted by everything except what they should be focused on. And I, and I gave the example of, you know, you know when they do those man-on-the-street type interviews where they, well, they do this with college kids, right? They ask them questions like, well, who's the vice president? You know, when was the Civil War fought? Just give me the decade, not even the year, but just <laughs> right. the decade. You know, and, and then they, they so I, I go, I give an example in the book where they ask all these questions about important, you know, personages from U.S. history, you know, big time events that occurred in U.S. history, things that you would think would be common knowledge. And, and they just unfailingly just get them always wrong, okay? But then they ask the one question that falls under the category of frivolity, and they ask the question is, well, what show is Snooky on? And see, you're, you're giving me that look. You have yeah. no idea who I'm even talking about, right? I have no idea. <laughs> and so, so they all got that question right. Well, Snooky is a character on a show that was called Jersey Shore. It's a reality show that I don't even think, I don't know if it's on anymore. But my, my point is, is that 
universally they knew that answer, but everything else, you know, things of greater importance. And so that's sort of a happened towards the end, you know, the end yeah. times of, uh, you know, of an empire is that people get this, you know, it's like the old Roman, you know, bread and circuses, right? So they, they offered the circuses to distract people. Yeah. And there's so much of that going on now with, you know, reality TV, sports, which I'm very fond of. And uh, so you, you get, I think, a lot of what you encounter in some of these meetings where sometimes you bring up certain topics and you get blank looks or, you know, just kind of canned answers to things. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, it may have been Stossel or one of those guys, or maybe Waters. You know, um, uh, I guess it's Waters. Yeah, I guess his name is. I always want to say Waters because that's the way it's spelled. But Waters, and he was doing men on the street type thing of college students. And when he asked who won the Civil War, the two answers he received, the majority answer he received was Britain and France. <laughs> I think only, I mean, yes, a dozen people, only one, one person said, you know, you know, the, the, so, oh, the North won against the South. Only one. Everyone right. says, Britain, France, oh, they had India, they had oh, every, every, every country. And, but in basic history, I mean, it's a common knowledge. They don't have common knowledge. It's, it's, and, Joe, it's the distraction of frivolity. People yeah. are very distracted by other things. You know, yeah. I, saw a po- I saw a post on Facebook a couple of days ago. It was really funny. It said, hey, you want to come over to my house so we can all stare at our phones? <laughs> 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 and, you know, that's, that's kind of what's going on. I, I even mentioned, you know, the use of, you know, how technology has affected people's attention span. And, again, it, it, it really is. There's this cloud of frivolity, what, you know, what the, what the Romans used to call the circuses that they would offer the people right. that gets kind of people, you know, unfocused from what they really be, should be thinking about. You know, Fox News has gotten that way very badly, where they talk about, I mean, we can be bombing Yemen. Hundreds of men, women, and children could be killed, you know, innocent people just from their homes, uh, drones. And they're talking about, well, did, did, did Comey say this or that? And they'll spend an hour <laughs> on it. And I go, who cares? No one even knows what he's talking about, you know? And we're bombing people over there, but they don't mention a word. Uh, if I watch the news, I watch Russian television. RT. You watch what? Which one? Russian television. RT. Oh, RT. RT. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's it's good news. I mean, they're Americans, and they, but they don't have to be concerned about saying something inappropriate against our political elite, and so that's where now whether or not it's colored, flavored, and all that stuff is is immaterial. I get a lot more information, and it's not all happy land. Hey, have you watched a network called OAN One America News? No, I haven't. Not at all. Try to try. I don't. What what sort of a TV system do you have in your home? A dish. Dish. See if you can find that on Dish. It's called One American News. And oh, very. Okay. I mean, it's very very generic. It's probably. I, in fact, I'm pretty sure you would like it because it's just very very generic news. Uh, kind of like it used to be, so to speak. Right. Um, they have some. They have some very attractive anchors too. <laughs> so, you know. Um, and so I don't I've look. I don't watch, look. I don't look. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually been watching, you know, more of them lately. Um, because again, they're just very generic. And you know, another uh, channel that I've been watching more of to get kind of a foreign perspective and kind of stay away from the quote Russian stigma is NHK. It's out of Japan. Nelson, Horatio, and then K is in Kappa. Okay, got it. Um, NHK, it's from Japan, and they, they're basically a 24-hour news channel. They, they run like uh, a 10- or 30-minute news segment like every hour, and then they have their own little, you know, their own shows. But, uh, very, again, just if you want to see kind of like a different perspective on news, that's another one to watch. But I'm sure you're getting your own perspective with RT. Well, 
uh, I will look these up, and if I can't, if they're not on Dish, I'll look at them on uh, on the internet. I'm sure they have absolutely. Internet. Yeah, NHK is definitely online. Yeah. And what's interesting is that people don't realize that um, 70 years ago, or 60 years, I shouldn't say, probably even 50 years ago, the news was an independent broadcast. It it really wasn't part of the. Uh, it was part of the network, but they were independent. They didn't have people telling them what to say and what to do. That's right. You know, That's totally right. independent. They had no advertisers, nothing. It was it was a, a public service. That's right. That's you know, right. Then they got bought out by the stations. The stations were being financed by the advertisers. The advertisers uh, skewed as to what could or could not be said. And then when people said things out of turn because it didn't, uh, if they said the economy wasn't doing well and they were trying to sell Ford trucks, no good. You're out, you know. Um, it's absolutely amazing. We have uh, ongoing discussions, and I, I want to get some more people involved in a discussion on, on uh, cryptocurrencies. Oh, I talk about that in the book, by the way. Yeah, and uh, well, we have to do a program on cryptocurrencies itself because I have a, my own philosophy on it, and, and I'd like to give it to you someday, and then we can talk about it. Tell me how far off I am. Um, I, I guess to, to wrap it up, to uh, package it. We've had cryptocurrencies since Roman times. It was called right. precious metals. Right. You know, uh, and and today it's really uh, precious metals are cryptocurrency, if you will, because the government doesn't consider consider it a medium of exchange, but it in fact is. Right. And you can also buy it online. You can store it somewhere in Zurich if you want. You know, and tra- just like a Bitcoin, the only difference between a Bitcoin and uh, precious metals in a vault somewhere in Switzerland would be that one has intrinsic value and one has no intrinsic value. Which one would you have? You know, and anyway, I, I have disagreements with many friends of mine who are heavily, I mean, excited about cryptocurrencies. They're all going to become multi-zillionaires. Yeah, and, and part of the thing is uh, I, have a, I have a relative that's very much in the cryptocurrencies, and the cryptocurrency issue in and of itself, I mean, it satisfies a lot of the criteria of, you know, what I've defined as money and other people define as money. Right. Um, the problem that I see with it right now is that it's not really being, it, it's, you know, at one point in time, there, you know, feathers were used as money, you know, seashells, um, you know, coins that were stamped, you know, with, with gold and silver. You know, there's been all kinds of things that have represented money. And, and what is money? You know, it's, it's, a, it's something that, that substitutes for barter. And that's right. one of the things I start out in the, in the book that right, I sent exactly. to you is that, you know, if, if you have a, you know, if you, if you have a working economy, if you will, the number one important, the most important invention in economic history was money. Because otherwise you'd be reduced to barter. And, and think about how difficult that would be, right? right. To be bartering for everything. Right. So a cryptocurrency is occupying that realm, Okay. But what's going on right now is it's being used as a speculative vehicle, right? Right. So people aren't thinking about it in terms of, oh, well, I can go to, um, you know, I can sit here in my home here in St. Louis, Missouri, and I can buy something in Japan, and I can exchange, you know, Bitcoins with somebody there because I just bought a, a, geisha, a geisha doll or something like that, right? Right. It's more, oh, okay, well, how can I get into it so I can make some money? So there's incredible speculation. Not, I mean, Bitcoin is the most salient example, 
But now there's Bitcoins that are surface, excuse me, cryptocurrencies that are just popping up. There's, I think right now there's maybe close to a thousand I read cryptocurrencies. Yeah. And so, I know a but, couple but, of weeks ago there was 930, and apparently yeah, there's so, one so, I mean, they're, they're, they're growing, right? And yeah. but, but the issue is, is that the reason they're being created is more from a speculative purpose than anything else. And that's very, very much in line with the speculation that's, that's, that you see in the financial market. Anyway, so it's very, very parallel to that. So I'm not surprised that cryptocurrencies and, you know, Bitcoin and so forth have had that sort of, you know, you know hyperbolic growth to this point. But, you know, m- much like anything else, when you get into financial bubbles, of which that's kind of encased in one. Again, it doesn't mean that the cryptocurrency isn't a good, it's a great idea. You know, it's a great way to transfer money. It, you know, it's a disintermediation of the what I call the wizards, you know, the central bank authorities. But right now, as it's being employed, it's it's a vehicle for speculation. Right, right. And uh, it, it's 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 interesting because uh, it, I get emails almost every day because I I guess I read one email and they they sort of tag my my email address and I get tons of them and friends send them to me, look, this one, this person, you know, uh, purchased um, uh, this cryptocurrency for $2.30 and now it's worth, you know, thousands of dollars and this person is now worth $328 million. Right. Please, I, I, you know, really, if, if, if I put in a couple thousand dollars and now worth $328 million, I would cash out. <laughs> right, right, right. I don't need any more than that. Uh, that right. that would last me at least a month, so I wouldn't have I a problem. Think, I think with that. so, yeah. yeah. I think so. <laughs> but um, there was um, uh, a cryptocurrency that just came out called F Coin, the F word. <laughs> yeah, and and apparently it's doing very well. <laughs> and uh, and I think that speaks to the whole mania of it, the whole speculative aspect of it. But I agree, it's great that now the U.S. currency is being called for what it really is. It's not money. It's just paper currency that's backed by nothing. Well, keep this in mind, too, Joe, is that probably in the 1800s, you know, you had what's things called banknotes. And so banks would issue notes, right? Now, those notes ostensibly were were covered by, you know, some precious metal. But, you know, you could have Joe's bank issuing a bank note, Jim's bank, and so forth. And people use those notes, obviously, as medium of exchange for trading and so forth. So the fact that you have what I'll call competing currencies is nothing new. Now, the problem in this country is, you know, you can't, I mean, legally, quote, compete against the dollar, right? Or you'd have treasury agents at your door the next day. So this is kind of operating outside that realm. The authorities, on the other hand, realize, you know, this is something that they can't necessarily control. But don't kid yourself. You know, the the central banks are greatly, greatly exploring, you know, cryptocurrencies right now, blockchain technology. So, you know, that I think all of those technologies are going to be absorbed in what we use in the future. It's just that right now, as they're being used, they're just... A lot of speculation going on with them, which, again, parallels the speculation in the financial markets. Yeah. What scares me is that the outcome of all this will be something that we don't expect. That's the scary part. <laughs> well, it usually know, is. We actually have a program. We've, we've been on Block Talk Radio, right? We've been live on Block Talk yeah. Radio? Yep. Oh, well, actually, we, we will have this program on Block Talk Radio, <laughs> and then we'll have our program again on whenever Tuesday or whenever you're, okay. we're up and you're available. Um, but but this whole subject uh, is is becoming emotional by many people. Some people are denying it, and some people are saying this is the wave of the future. And I think they're both wrong. <laughs> I think that the, 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 the technology it will be will be the way of the future, but not the way it's being done today. 
it's going to have because you have to have a, a some sort of store of value, some sort of um, a, a a crypto dollar has to be worth a crypto dollar. It can't be worth a crypto dollar today and twenty dollars tomorrow or twenty cents the next day after that. There has to be some stability in the system, and how that works, I I'm not smart enough to even. Well, I mean, so so right now everything you know, bitcoins are translated into what into dollars, right? So I mean, I, I have a screen up here, you know, on my computer. Right now, a Bitcoin is worth $3,350, right? And a month ago, it was worth, obviously, a lot less than that. So just from a merchant perspective, you know, if you're pricing things in Bitcoins, you know, you have some pretty, pretty strong volatility, right? Associated, but again, that's part of the speculative mania that, that it's in. Um, I will disagree with you on the hand that, you know, all a currency needs is what I, what I call one of my, econo- my economic law number one from one of my old books is called credit equals confidence. Well, if you have confidence, you know, that, you know, right. I, I don't have my ball here, but if you, know, if you have that dollar bill and it says, you know, this is legal tender for all that's public, right, you have confidence that when I give that to you, you know, I'm paying you for your service. Right. As long as people have confidence in that crypto digital currency, which, you know, most of the dollars that we have, most of our money in the world is what? It's digital, right? It's not paper. Right. It's not physical. Right. So, so we've, we've actually been operating with digital currencies for quite a long time. Right. And and people have confidence that, you know, when I send you a bank transfer electronically, you know, your bank accepted. So as long as that confidence is there, that thing, whatever it is, whatever that cryptocurrency may be or anything else, I mean, it could be seashells for that matter. As long as that occurs, that confidence, you know, is, is the foundation for it. That currency can exist. Right. But but again, the, the, the issue is, is that notice I'm talking about it as a currency. I'm not talking about it as a speculative vehicle. And that's what's going on right now. And I, I think a lot of people are caught up in the euphoria. Yes, wow, we you know we have this great new way of you know disintermediating the dollar, disintermediating the wizards and you know in central banks, and we're in control of this. And it's all based on math on math, which is you know up right up my alley. Um, this is a great thing. But now you have people pouring into it, right? And then you have you know quote bidding up the price of it. You know there's only so many bitcoins available, so there's a there's a scarcity element to it as well. So all of those things are there. What do you think will happen if we have an actual currency crisis, which we keep on inching up to constantly? Every day we get a little closer. The only thing is we don't know what the further distance is. We don't know if it's going to be tomorrow or three years from now. But we're, we're, we're approaching that slowly but surely. And um, what's going to happen to cryptocurrencies, in your opinion, if we have a currency, real currency crisis? Well, so, so let's define what a currency crisis will look like, right? I mean, I think that's a real important thing. So does a currency crisis mean that all of a sudden people wake up one day and there's no zombies around like you were talking about earlier, but you, know, you, wake, you wake up and all of a sudden you say, well, I'm, I don't trust the dollar, I don't trust the euro, I don't trust the pound, I don't trust the yen. I, I don't believe that's going to happen, okay? Because all currencies, no matter where they are in the world right now as it exists today, and I'm not talking about crypto, cryptocurrencies, you know, more commonly used currencies, um, they, um, they're not based on anything. They're fiat. Uh, we, we know that all that got decoupled when Tricky Dick Nixon did what he did in, well, actually, actually that first week of August, I believe, in 1971. So, I mean, so we actually just had an anniversary of that. So once he did that, right, he decoupled the U.S. dollar from gold and all the other currencies that were tied to the U.S. dollar in a fixed ratio that were then tied to gold. So you had that, you know, arrangement from 1945. Well, he blew that up, right? So in order, to, in order to rectify any sort of a currency crisis, if, if the currency crisis is, you know, you have a repeat of, and you won't have a repeat of 2008, it'll be, I think it'll be a scale worse than that, the next one. Right. Um, 
you have to restore what, what did I say at first? I said credit equals confidence, right? So how do you restore confidence in the system? Well, you don't do what you're seeing in Venezuela, just keep adding zeros, right? Or Zimbabwe to the end of your, you know, of your paper money, right? right? So you have to infuse that confidence. So the question is, what will infuse that confidence, right? And, you know, one, one thought process, if you will, is, Central banks all over the world um, have a lot of gold. Now, they don't talk about it, and they talk gold down all the time. They decry it. You know, it's a, well, it's a relic of the past. You're a treasury secretary. Go ask your current treasury secretary, you know, Steve Mnuchin. Ask him what he thinks about gold. And I, I would bet most treasury secretaries in the world, you know, they're probably, oh, yeah, you know, gold. But the, the fact is all governments, major governments, have a significant amount of gold. I believe the United States has the most. China's trying to catch up. Russia has a lot of gold. And part of it is, is, you know, whenever you have that much gold and, and people understand that there's value there, right, there's intrinsic value there, that gives you a seat at, quote, the table. And that table in the future might be, you know, look at it this way. In, in 1998, when long-term capital management failed, you know, you had banks that rescued long-term capital management. And when we had the financial crisis in 2008, well, who rescued the bank? Well, it was the central banks. Well, during the next crisis, you know, we, we know what the Fed's balance sheet looks like right now, right? They've they acquired all these assets. Now they're trying to divest themselves of that. So during the next crisis, who bails out the central banks or the Fed? So you got to think about, well, who's got a clean enough balance sheet that could maybe work this out? And just as an aside here, in, in my fictional novel, in the first one, 2020, I actually created the scenario that you're talking about right there. And I created this, you know, this, this international organization. I called it the Global Settlement Bank which somebody would say, well, Jim, gee, that sounds a little bit like the IMF or the Bank of International Settlements. And yeah, it kind of does. And so what, what happens at that point is you have this, you know, international organization that then steps in to say, okay, we're going to create maybe these new relationships, you know, with money. And these new relationships might be, we're going to associate um, like a dollar with something intrinsic like gold. Right. And so, um, once you establish that, then it, it immediately injects confidence into the system. Now, how, you know, the mechanics of how that works, I mean, that's, you know, that's subject to uh, interpretation. In my novel, I created a new world currency, okay? And I called it the Mundi, M-U-N-D-I. Well, that's kind of, if you've heard of something called an SDR, special drawing, right? Yes. You know, that's what the IMF has. And, you know, they can take those special drawing rights, which, by the way, they, cre they can create those out of thin air, right, as right. well. So, you know, you, you have to look at, you know, what the currency crisis is going to look like and then who's going to step in to bail out the, the wizards that we have right now. And, and I would say probably the most likely candidate is somebody like the IMF. Yeah. Well, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but I'd like to correct you. Okay. Don't mind. Uh, you mean when Nixon temporarily yeah. removed <laughs> <laughs> I forgot, I forgot. Every, temporarily. Well, we're still well, waiting, well, by well, the Joe, way. The income tax was temporary, too, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's, it's great. You know, I, I, governments are great. They, they're all rotten. They all do the same thing. Um, but in, in, in my opinion, the, a currency crisis is really basically – it's not going to go away. Uh, people are not going to shunt it or anything. It's going to be a devaluation. You know, uh, I was in France in 1960, and, and at that time I had a – I had uh, uh, French francs in my pocket, and in my right pocket, I had new francs. In my left, my left pocket, I had old francs, 
and there was a ratio was 10 to 1. So I had to keep them separate because every time I purchased something, it was either 10 old francs or one new franc, you know? (laughs) And I was constantly jockeying these two around. And so I, I I could envision at least something along those lines where either we have hyperinflation, but the dollar is not devaluated, but doesn't buy as much as it did before, or an actual devaluation of the dollar. I don't think it's going to go away. Um, I don't think anyone would allow it to go away. Even if we wanted to, I think our creditors won't, won't allow us to do that. Somehow there would be some pressure put on how they would do that. I don't know, but we will always have the dollar. The question is, what will the dollar be worth? What will it buy you? And what will it who, who will accept it around the world will be as exchangeable. And if it's not the world's ex, uh, uh, reserve currency, are we now going to look to the IMF using special drawing rights as a world's reserve currency? Well, so, 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 the, so the SDR basically is a basket of currencies, right? right? So you have the euro, the dollar, the yen, the pound, I think the Swedish krona. Yeah. And, and last year, I believe, you know, then they added the Chinese yuan to it. That's right. And that was very, very important. But part of the reason they were able to do that is because China's been acquiring a lot of gold, so they, quote, got a seat at the table, so to speak, to have their influence there. And, that was, again, that's very, very important because now they can influence some things that occur in the IMF because the IMF basically was the United States before. Um, I, I think, you know, in, in answer to one of your questions that you asked earlier, uh, the dollar is slowly being disintermediated in international trade because, you know, in international trade now, well, again, this is going back to Bret Woods, well, if you're country A and you wanted to trade with country B, well, you needed to have dollars for that exchange, right? right. Now, a lot of countries, because of, you know, some, some of the uh, inflationary tactics associated with the dollar, the central bank, fiscal policy, et cetera. But in addition to that, you know, let, let's, look at it, let's look at it from a political standpoint. When the United States and pressures other governments to do certain things, oftentimes, you know, we hear the word sanctions. Well, there's financial sanctions that are typically associated with that. And because many countries are part of, you know, the SWIFT network or, you know, kind of the dollarized, you know, financial payment system, they're saying, hmm, wait a second, you know, the United States can exert more pressure on my country politically and control what I do because I'm tied to that system. But what if I'm not tied to that system anymore? Right. And so, and that's what you're seeing now, you know, you're seeing like Russia and China, you know, exchanging goods and services where they're not using the dollar, Right. And so you asked the question earlier about cryptocurrencies. Well, imagine a world where, you know, you have countries now dealing in cryptocurrencies, right? Well, you know, not only can they pay each other very, very quickly outside of the SWIFT network, so they completely disintermediated the dollar there, but from a political perspective, they don't, they, you know, if the United States says, well, I'm going to impose sanction A on you that's financial, they'd say, okay, well, go ahead because I'm not using your system anymore. I'm not dependent on dollars, mm-hmm. Right. So that has, you know, a cryptocurrency component could have some significant political effects later on. Yeah. And uh, where do you think, uh, what place will uh, gold, silver, platinum, your precious metals play in all of this? I mean, they use as industrial metals. We know that. And today with the space age still way in front of us, uh, using more metals like platinum, which is very heavy metal, very, you know, impervious to about everything, um, palladium, uh, rhodium, uh, uh, gold and silver as well, using all the electric, uh, um, and, and of course in um, uh, solar panels. And of course, if, if, if Trump gets his, own, his way of getting, having a, um, a border with Mexico, a, 
a border wall with Mexico made of solar panels, silver will go to $10,000 an ounce. <laughs> there will be no silver left in the world, you know, which I doubt will ever happen. But um, where do you see precious metals falling in in this this brave new world that we're, we're facing? Well, and so that was the example I was giving you earlier. So if you have a crisis of confidence in your money, one way to restore that confidence is to create an association with a precious metal, right? Because we had that before, right? We simply just decoupled that. So um, if you take like the, there's a, there's a statistical monetary measure called M1 and there's another one called M2, which, you know, right. kind of measures cash and circulation, right. cash in federal reserve vaults, you know, CDs and all that. So if you, if you, if you take that monetary you know, quantity and then you say, okay, well, let me divide that by X number of ounces of gold, or it's not necessarily a one-to-one ratio, but you could say, okay, we're going to have, say, 20% backing or 40% backing, right, of, of, of the money with gold. Um, you've instantly kind of added some credibility that didn't occur there before, right? But here's the issue, and this is why, you know, I don't believe that'll happen until, you know, the government is facing the, the fiscal firing squad, because once that happens, the government cannot do, right, cannot follow the fiscal policies that they have for the last umpteen years, because it just simply wouldn't be possible, mm-hmm. right? And so um, the reason number one why governments anywhere in the world are loath to get off their fiat currencies is because it imposes fiscal discipline on them. I mean, right. it's very simple. I, I don't understand why foreign countries still accept the fact that the U.S. dollar is the world's reserve currency, when they know that we can't, we don't have enough money nor the productive uh, prowess to pay out debts. I mean, but Joe, but Joe, but nobody else has stepped up to replace it. That's what I'm saying. So, yeah. if, you know, when people decry the dollar, my my first question is, okay, what would you replace it with? And see, there's there's no answer. Now, if somebody steps up and says, okay, I've, I'm going to set up this new de facto currency that's the de facto currency of the world, reserve currency. And by the way, this currency is backed by something very, very tangible. That's a game changer. But see, nobody's going to do that right now, and I, and I don't think the governments are going to do that because, again, it all of a sudden that imposes fiscal discipline, and no government wants fiscal discipline. Yeah. What do you think? We have about another minute or so before the half hour, so I don't want to keep any longer. What do you think the trigger point will be? Wow, that's a great, great question. I, I don't know that I have the answer to that, but typically with something like this, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing is there's going to be some sort of a, a financial failure. I mean, it could be a financial institution. It could be, it could be a bond offering. You know, it doesn't get fulfilled. Uh, in the United States, we have you know this ticking time bomb with pension crises. You know, state. I mean, I, I live adjacent to a state right now, Illinois, that has, I believe. Um, was it like four or five billion dollars in unpaid bills? It might be more. Just unpaid bills. Forget about the pension problem, right? Oh yeah, so, Illinois is a basket case. People are leaving like crazy. Exactly. So I mean, so the, the question is, you know, what what's what's the uh, catalyst to make that happen? And what I've been, I, I like to use the metaphor of the snow on the side of the mountain. You know, it's like you don't know which snowflake is going to cause the avalanche. Right, the but there's, there, plenty, right. but there's plenty of snow on there to that, for that to happen. So. You know, maybe some sort of a failure of financial institution. It could be a hedge fund. You know, we had that with long-term capital management. Look, look at long-term capital management cause in 98, right? Right. So, you know, it could be a banking issue, um, po- you know, possibly a political conflagration. could be a bond issue that fails. You know, somebody can't pay. I mean, it could be a number of those things. And, and the leading edge of that, in my opinion, will be the U.S. stock market. Well, I guess whatever happens, it'll be something we least expect. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's what typically happens. Well, Jim, I want to thank you so much for staying with us for this half hour. We will continue this discussion sometime next week. We don't have the time or the date. Do we have a time or date yet? Do, do we know if anything's working? Or? 
Well, I've got it back to where we were before. Hopefully, David will be able to find it. Okay. I think we're going to be, we looks like we're making progress. So we will give you a call as soon as we get it up and running and we have it tested. And uh, we will obviously um, air it on at your convenience. Okay, Jim? Sure. Absolutely. Okay. Did you, by the way, Joe, did you get a chance to download that book yet? No, I haven't. I, you know what? I, 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 I don't know if I got the download. Was it in your email? You it was an email I sent to Sally. I, I guess maybe she passed it to you maybe. Yeah. Well, hold on a second. We're ready now. That everything Peter filled out just came back on here. So. Well, my, uh, uh, yeah. I still th- I still think I would prefer to reschedule because those people who called in at or started to listen in at two o'clock found out we were not there. They're right. gone, so you right. don't have much of an audience, and and and. I mean, it'd be easier for me to just continue on, but I think for your sake, it's best if we reschedule, we indicate that we had a technical problem, and this is going to be a, the, 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 the real broadcast, if you will, and so that we can attract more listeners that way for you. So, so but this, is, this went out today on Blog Talk Radio today? Uh, yeah, it'll be on Blog Talk Radio, okay. and, and, so we'll, and we'll keep that, but on YouTube and, uh, and the other platforms of course it's absent and starting now i don't think we're going to have any listeners for you so i would prefer right. i think it would be better for you if we did it next week and would you be available on tuesday next tuesday afternoon do you know let me look there real quick here what time yeah joe tuesday would work fine Okay, it'll be somewhere around two, three o'clock, somewhere around that in the afternoon. But we'll get back to you. Okay. Uh, you're Eastern time. No, sir. Central, just like oh, you. you're Central. Okay, so it'll be around two or three o'clock, somewhere around there. But we'll get back to you. Okay, Jim. Okay. All right. Okay. Very good. Thank you very much. Appreciate right. you staying Thanks, on with us. All right. right. Bye bye now, <laughs> folks. We're going to be back, and we'll be back on next Tuesday to um, finish our conversation with Mr. Jim Mosquera, the author of Escaping Oz: The Observer's Reflection. Uh, and um, uh, we'll talk more about the U.S. economy and uh, where we're going as a culture here in the United States. So thank you for listening in and stay well with us. You know, do listen to us. We'll be continuing this, this same conversation with Mr. Mascara on next Tuesday. We don't know the exact time, probably two o'clock central. And we hope that you will listen in then. Thank you very much. And for now, stay well. Stay tuned.